Hey guys, welcome to Know Your Gear number 63. Uh, uh, welcome to Friday. It's Friday the 27th and uh, it's officially warm where I'm at. <laughs> so uh, how are you guys doing? Did you guys have a good week? I see a lot of familiar faces on the chat already. And uh, let's talk about what's going on this week. So a couple things to talk about that are interesting right off the bat. If you guys may have known, this week was the new format that will continue on for quite a long time, which is the uh, Monday, Wednesday, Friday format. So it'll be videos on Monday at 3 p.m. Uh, Pacific time, 6 p.m. Eastern time, uh, 3 p.m. Wednesday, same time, and then the live show on Fridays, same time. So that way you guys will start noticing that there is a continuity to the three videos a week. And maybe every once in a while, there'll be a couple bonus videos uh, on Saturday or throughout, throughout the week just thrown in there. Most likely it'll be on a Saturday. Um, we have a, uh, a current stockpile of videos now to keep this going. So it'll be very interesting. All right. Man, there's already 260 of you guys. That's awesome. Uh, Jason McDonald says, hey, oh, I'm sorry, McDaniel. Jason McDaniel says, Phil, any favorite wine for the Wiggins Humbuckers? I've only tried the one set of Williams, uh, Wiggins Humbuckers. That was the ones I did in the Jared... Um, no, sorry, Rob Scallon uh, guitar. Uh, so I'm not familiar with, his, with any of his other wines. So unfortunately, those though sounded fantastic. And you can go to that video to check those out. Okay, next one is does block. This is uh, I, don't know, I can't say the name. So I'm going to say Mary. I don't know. Merrick, Mariser, Mariser, whatever. <laughs> says, does blocking a Strat tremolo with wood increase or decrease sustain? Uh, heard both ways. You know, I, I've never noticed a difference in sustain myself. Um, what I do notice when I use wood instead of like a, 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 a stopping device, like a metal stopping device, is I don't have to hear it click when I let go of the tremolo arm sometimes. Sometimes when you let go of it just abruptly on accident, you know, the tremolo, when it hits the, the block, it's it it's, makes a click sound against the metal that I don't really care for. And it's a little softer when it hits the wood. Um, so that, for me, does something. But as for uh, increasing sustain, in theory, I mean, you know, after you're going off the idea that the more vibration could create more sustain, it's possible. But I've never experienced it myself. Nothing to... to um, Nothing to say, yes, do it for that benefit. If I block a tremolo, it's literally just because I don't want to deal with it being a floating tremolo anymore. Um, let's see. We got a couple, so I'm going to go off a couple real quick. Uh, oh, Metallica29 says, hello from South Texas. You're welcome. Hello, Texas. Uh, it says... Hold on. It just jumped. The question was, uh, any information on the MT-15? So basically the Paul Reed Smith Tremonti amp, uh, if you guys haven't heard, I have heard that it's been pushed back. Now, that being said, I am definitely under the impression that there are some coming out soon, if not now. Um, 
I, uh, I talked to uh, PRS about using one to review and do a comparison with my Archon. And uh, they uh, let me know they could probably handle that. Um, but it would be in the second batch. And it would be about three weeks. And that was last week. So, so that led me to believe that there's a first batch about to hit the streets in about a week or so. Or some time frame before three weeks from now. So if you guys hear anything, you let me know as well. So... Uh, Matthew wants to know any chance that there'll be a PRS, uh, John Mayer, silver sky lefty. You know, I, I hope so. I hope that they're, they're smart enough to do that. It doesn't seem that hard to do. It's a strat style guitar, you know, but in PRS fashion, they've been really slow to the left-handed game to get things done. So we're going to have to, um, we're going to have to just say probably it's not likely to happen very soon, but I hope it does happen, especially for you lefties. You guys get left out a lot. No pun intended. Just. Okay. Um, Beatmaster said, should we already ask about Gibson and their German RoboTuner supplier thing? Um, if you guys follow me on Instagram and Facebook, links in below, or if you're a patron, I did a video this week about the RoboTuners. Uh, pretty much the second the story came out, I had that up. Um, some things I don't put on YouTube, it's because it's just, to me, that wasn't, it's a one-minute video, and it's not really entertainment, so to speak. It's more of information, so I put it on those sources. Um, so a lot of you saw it this week on those sources. Uh, it was my two cents on the RoboTuner thing, but here on this, uh, on the QA thing, that's usually where I kind of leave that stuff for the week to happen on, on is uh, this on the Friday QA. Um, so what happened was uh, the company that makes the RoboTuners for Gibson filed a lawsuit in December of last year against Gibson uh, for not paying them their royalties, like $23 million, um, because it's a licensing royalty deal. And then they are also trying to sue for $27 million in uh, in the fact that they are not fulfilling the commitment. In other words, Gibson's not ordering the promissory amount, plus not paying back the R&D. Um, now, so you know, I've heard that Gibson is also countersuing them uh, for violating some kind of non-compete. So like all situations with companies, there seems to be a little, you know, back and forth on this. I, I do have an interesting story, though, uh, that pertains to this. So let me let me put my two cents where they where they may. Um, I can't remember the exact year. I just can't. I bet you if I go through my uh, photo albums, I'll be able to pull the exact year out. But one of the years at the NAMM show. Uh, me and my buddy were walking in the bottom mezzanine, which is like the basement of the NAMP show. It's where all the new uh, stuff. If you have a new company and you got a card table, that's where you're going to be at the NAMP show. And there was a guy there and he had these tuners that would tune the guitar for you. And it was really impressive. The mechanisms, the tuners were on the headstock and the unit was in the knob. So it was uh, like the tuner. Have you ever seen the, the actual tuner that you lift up and it's built into your knob on the guitar? Uh, maybe I can find it, put a link in the description when I timestamp this. And uh, we were checking it out. It was tuning the guitars. And I said, yeah, that's really cool. But, you know, that seems like a lot of work. And he, I said, you know, what do you run the wires up through the neck to the tuners? And he said, no, no, we run, we run, they run basically electricity um, through the strings, 
to to the uh, to the tuners. That's how they were routing the power. Um, it was really interesting and crazy. And uh, I, I, I was so excited. I went and got another friend and I took him to show them booth and the guy showed us his uh, tuners. And then the next day, that was Thursday, the next day, Friday, uh, he wasn't really demonstrating there. He was there. And I said, oh yeah, are you, how are you doing? And he goes, I signed an exclusive deal with the company. So that always led me to believe that that was uh, the Gibson deal. So I don't know. I can't imagine there was two robo tuners that worked the same way. Ironically, the first set of robo tuners that Gibson put out were that design. And then later changed to, I think, the better design, which is the on-one mechanism that goes behind the headstock. When I put that out to the patrons this week, um, I think my patron, uh, his name is Bob, put a really interesting comment. And he said that this is probably them. The reason why they're probably putting the lawsuit out, Tronicles, by the way, is the name of the company, the Robotuners. They're probably putting the lawsuit out so that it, when Gibson, if Gibson files bankruptcy, they'll be in line to get get paid, uh, even if it's only a portion. So I agree with that statement. I think that's a very, uh, very thought out uh, statement that basically at this point, if a big company is about to go under, I think it would be smart to uh, to go ahead and and make sure that you're in line. So there you go. All right. Yeah. Eric Anderson says that was Tronicle and it was 2008. That sounds about right. I bet you, like I said, I, I have photo albums from all the years I went to the NAMM show. I bet you if I go to 2008, I'll have the picture of them and the booth and the equipment and stuff. It was really interesting stuff and uh, it was really crazy. Now, funny uh, story onto that, which is just something that was told to me by somebody at Fender. When that NAMM show, I said, oh, did you see the... the um, the, the tuner thing downstairs. Did you see it? And they said, yeah. And I said, um, I heard they're going to get it. He's getting an exclusive deal with a company or getting a deal with a company. And they said, yeah. And I said, is it you? And they said, no, they said he didn't have enough, uh, uh, research and safety <laughs> to make us not, not afraid of it. So I thought that was interesting as well too. All right. What do we got next? Uh, have I ever, okay. This is from Jeff T. Have have you ever had a guitar play clean through a dirty amp, but another guitar plays as you would expect, dirty? Is it the pickups, pickup height? Yeah. So in other words, the question is, have I ever plugged in a guitar in an amp that's distorted and only got pretty much a clean sound? Yes. Um, it's usually uh, one of a couple things, but one of the things that really point out to me is it's obviously a lack of signal getting to the amp. So the amp's not being able to distort anymore. Um, and it's something wrong in the electronics of the guitar for sure. Sometimes it's a bad guitar cable. Now you said you used another guitar and it was fine, but you could always have a cable that's intermittent working for that one guitar and not the other. But my guess is, yeah, you have something in there. And my guess is, is probably some kind of ground issue, something that's not filled, something that's not fulfilling that circuit to get enough signal out there. Um, sometimes grounds work in an interesting way. Sometimes no ground means no signal. And sometimes uh, one of the grounds being removed just cuts the signal down to almost nothing. So either way, uh, you sound like you got some faulty electronics. <laughs> so um, what else do we got? Habs247 says, hey, Phil, took out my Tom Anderson HN3 plus humbucker and have a DiMaggio super distortion on the way. Should this satisfy metal pinch harmonic squeal style I play? Absolutely. The super distortion is probably this to me when I think of the tube screamer as the iconic, you know, kind of overdrive push your amp over 
uh, gotta have pedal. To me, the super distortion is the same iconic gotta have, you know, metal rock metal distort uh, distortion pickup. You know, pickup. Uh, it, it was used by so many people for so long. You know, the the super distortion by DiMaggio. I don't know if you guys know this. Is the very first. Well, when I say first, everything that's always first means notable. Could there be somebody who was smaller at the time who did something before that no one knows about? Always. But we're talking about note noteworthy. Uh, it's the first it's the first aftermarket pickup. When Larry DiMaggio made the super distortion, he uh, he um, he was the first one to start making an aftermarket pickup like that. And they sold like gangbusters and he couldn't patent it uh, for whatever reason. There's a story behind that, too. So he trademarked it uh, by trademarking the double cream pickups. I, I talked about this in the um, the Seymour Duncan video. Okay, so D D Darren's got a question that I really can't answer, but I want to talk about. It says, why are some pickups mounted on an angle, i.e. a Strat and a Tele? Is there a technical reason for this? Well, technically, obviously placing the pickup, uh, if you take the strings and you move the pickup up and down, you know, obviously you're going to hear different things. That's why there's a neck pickup and a bridge pickup. So that theory is really... on. The theory is, you know, you're turning the pickup, you could turn it this way, so that obviously if it's... Uh, it's if it's well if we're looking at this is the bridge right here and this is the, the the headstock if we tilt it this way right and these are your low strings your high strings you would get more bass and less treble or more treble that way you would get both the best of both worlds because so tilting the pickups have to do with changing the eq in which they can hear the strings right and when i say changing the eq means because of the placement it's messing with the placement um so that's why they're mounted this is a thing that I always thought looked super cool and did very little uh, in the overall. And yeah, you could probably hear it, but I can't. I can't say, oh yeah, definitely. If you give me a guitar without that tilted pickup, you know, it just doesn't work for me. I think probably if it works, it works the most for Italian Strat, just because they're so trebly and so bassy uh, at the at well, especially trebly on the on the pickups. So that's the idea of moving that pickup. It's almost like just placing a microphone, right? They're just moving that pickup to tilt it uh, in different directions to get different placements against the strings. Uh, Tony's got a question. It says, hey, Phil, hello from one of the newest patrons. Hey, thank you, Tony. Yeah, you are. Uh, I was going to announce you today, Tony. You uh, started yesterday. Thank you. Uh, it says, uh, have you ever tried acoustic guitar simulator pedals? I have. Um, and I would actually defer to you guys' uh, suggestions. The AC3 by Boss is uh, just like the AC2, but it has reverb. <sighs> I don't love it. So, uh, but I, I don't, I haven't done any research to see if there's any other acoustic guitar simulator pedals. So I thought about reviewing the AC3 by Boss. I'm curious though, is there, a, and we'll do, let's play a game right now. You guys are here, there's watching, there's 696 of you, okay? So we got basically almost 700 gear junkie guitar players here with us live. Let's uh, do this. While I'm talking, why don't you guys do some search and tell me what you think. Let's find a great acoustic uh, simulator pedal. Tell me what's out there that's amazing. Hopefully, we can find something decent and affordable to check out, and we'll review it. So it's something that I get asked a lot, and I would like to review it against a guitar. I have a guitar with uh, Piso Systems. I'd like to do a comparison. Okay, um, yeah, somebody's saying Rockman used to make one. 
Okay, next question we have today is, Phil, do you know anything about the Dragonfire pickups? I don't, buddy. That's from Dan. Uh, they look like a lot of bang for the buck, but not sure about their quality. Okay, Dragonfire pickups. So let me, I'm going to just earmark that, buddy, real quick. Let's take a look. Uh, Dragonfire pickups look like... Because I, I, the reason is, is I'm pretty sure, yes, I have heard of these pickups before. Let me show you guys what I'm looking at here. Um, here you go. Yes, my impression... I've actually seen these pickups. They, I've seen them on eBay and stuff, and I went to this website and checked them out. Got a very uh, guitar fetish vibe to them. In other words, um, obviously it looks like some kind of import uh, pickup, um, but could be good money, you know, good, you know, good bang for the buck. Like I said, I have not, um, I have not tried them. So that is, is, is that, but yes, definitely. Um, I have tried guitar fetish pickups. I have good experience with them. Uh, as for the dry dragon fire pickups, I'd have to, I'd have to check them to see, but they're definitely the same thing as, uh, as a uh, guitar fetish and the idea that they are an import pickup uh, and being sold as aftermarket. They look pretty cool. I actually looked up a pair because I was looking for some inexpensive uh, colored pickups to put in my mini, um, my little mini Jackson Minion guitar. And uh, I just didn't want to spend a fortune for some DiMarchios, you know, to get them in a cool color on a guitar that I, I don't play very often. Uh, God's God Guitars, Guns, and Goats. Universal Audio Ox Box, do a review. Yeah, I I would love to do a review. It's a very expensive unit. It's $1,200. And as you can see, I have a couple units. I mean, I already have a couple things, and I was told that this thing will blow all that stuff away. Again, though, the problem I have for me is all the stuff I have now is was a fraction of that combined. All that stuff didn't cost as much as the Ox. So um, the ox is definitely, I'd have to order it, you know, on Sweetwater or something. And then uh, if I don't like it, send it back. I watched a lot of reviews on it and um, I wasn't able to come to a conclusion that made me want to buy it. So other than everybody tells me it's amazing, but I don't know what that means. I don't know what specifically is amazing about it. Okay, um, can't say the name, so I'm going to say NZ. NZ says, hey, Phil, uh, hey, Phil, just got my first Strat. Want to go uh, for HSS, Humbucker Single Single? Should I go 500K, Volume Pot, or stick to the 250K? This comes up quite often. I always stick to the 250K. Um, there is two, there's two options that you can do on this. You can get a stacked 500-250K potentiometer, and run the humbucker just to the 500k and the two single coils to the 250k. Uh, that is something that Fender has done on some of their newer models. That's really interesting when they do the HSS with the uh, Tim Shaw pickups. Or you would uh, run everything 250k. I would run everything 250k. The reason is is because the damage. So don't I don't want to say damage. That's misleading. 250. What happens is the 500k will let more high frequencies through. Let the the transparency of the pickup come through better. So the downfall is this, 250K will restrict some of that those highs. The, the drawback of putting a 250K on your humbucker, to me, 
is not as bad as letting the single coils have that 500k to send all those dramatic highs through. Um, now, I, you can experiment. There's no rule. As you know, you can put whichever one you want and see how it goes. But me, preferably, I'll stick to the 250k. That's just my experimenting. I've tried both. I've even tried a couple of the other kind of other odd oddball uh, pickups. Or uh, sorry, potentiometers like a one meg and stuff just to see what happens. And it's even brighter and more, you know what I mean? There's a uh, PRS and a lot of companies will use that. One of the things uh, that's nice about Jaguars and Jazzmasters, I think, I think I'm doing off memory that they use like a one meg a lot of times and it gives you a lot of that punch and clarity. So... All right, next question we have here is from Bart. Bart wants to know, got a new Fender Elite HSS. Want to change the Shaw Bucker to something with more output. Need flexibility for classic rock and punk. A little metal. Would a Thorn Bucker or, or a TB Plus be too similar? Suggestions. So I have both those pickups you're talking about. I have the Shaw Buckers and the P Thorns. I don't have the, the Thorn Bucker Plus. Um, but I could extrapolate from the, having the Thorbucker what a little bit more output would give you. In my opinion, the Thornbucker is definitely less output than the Shawbucker. The Shawbucker is for sure a hotter pickup than the Thornbucker. Not saying that's hot at all. I'm just saying it's definitely hotter. Um, I'd have to look at the specs, but going off of my gut instincts, I bet the Thornbucker Plus is probably in the playground of the Shawbucker. I can't imagine it's higher output than that. Uh, Pete himself says the Thornbuckers are definitely dialed back. So what you're looking for, for, for rock and punk rock uh, and metal, uh, I don't think that's the right way to go with those kind of pickups. Um, so, the, you know, you'd have to look at something else. To me, in a Strat, it's, I get a lot of grief for this, but I'm just going to tell you what I think. Sometimes a JB, a Seymour Duncan JB sounds great in a Strat when you're trying to get it to be fat and, and have a little metal push. Uh, it's a great pickup. Some of the pickups that I think are great for metal and punk rock and stuff, um, they are bright and they really sound good in guitars that are kind of medium toned or dark. And to me, a Strat is just so on the cusp of bright and doesn't have a lot of warmth that a lot of those great sounding pickups just, it's just not the right mix. And the JB to me, sometimes what people say, it's sometimes it's a little too bassy. That's what I think helps fix the Strat. So I think it's a good good thing. I said last week, and I stick by it, I like the Pearly Gates in the Strat humbucker the most uh, in position. However, you're saying rock, metal, punk. Um, I would say the JB. And the JB is a uh, far cry uh, less money. To be honest with you, you could sell your uh, Thornbucker, or Shawbucker, sorry, your Shawbucker, and uh, buy a used JB and go, you'd be fine. Give that a shot um shaman blues hey shaman what's up buddy says hey phil can you uh mention my first youtube vid you will get better shaman blues all seriousness aside <laughs> all right they will get better shaman blues all right uh i'll link it when i do the timestamp man that's cool i didn't know you're doing videos uh like chatter and stuff that's cool uh i will link it Okay, Zadley Kester says, please review some Harley Bittens. I'm eager to get one. And uh, and they are a lot of reviews on YouTube, but honestly, you're the only person I trust. Uh, you know, I appreciate that. Thank you so much. I do trust a lot of YouTube channels, though. So if you want suggestions for channels that I trust, um, give you an honest review. Uh, and I'm wanting to get an 8-string. Um, you know who does a great review of the 8-string on that is, uh, is Aguafish. 
He did it. I watched his Harley Benton 8 string review. I believe it or not, I've watched almost all the, just like you guys, I've watched all the Harley Benton reviews. And the reason I did is because I've touched a bunch of the Harley Bentons at GitCon. And then I watched a lot of people's reviews. And I agree with a lot of the stuff they're saying. They're they're great guitars, uh, you know what I mean, for the money. Uh, you know, and I agree with uh, a lot of people who say, you know, eh, you know, it's an all right guitar. The truth about Harley Benton for me is this. It's a very okay guitar. You know what I mean? They're they're fine. There's nothing wrong with them. I agree with everybody says when you pick up a guitar and you go, hey, for two fifty, you can't it can't hurt. It can't be. You know, it's not bad. They're absolutely right. It's not bad. Um, now, uh, but I feel that way about Agile too. They're really good stuff. And uh, and in fact, I think uh, Agofish did Agile as well. I don't think I watched it, but I saw the the, the thumbnail for it. Um, and uh, there's a. Was it SX Guitars? This is by Rondo Music is kind of, you know, in the Harley Benton range. There's always a new, to me, there's always a new company making inexpensive guitars for a while. And Harley Benton just happens to be the flavor right now that's doing it. And like I said, I got nothing bad to say about them. If you guys are interested in me reviewing some of those guitars, here is what I would be interested in. Um, what I will do is I will reach out to the Tallman guys. Okay, I can do that this week coming up. And I would like to do a live show and we'll go on their website and we can pick like two or three of them. And I would like you guys to pick them. And the reason is, is because when I, when uh, Tommen says, hey, would you like to review a Harley Benton? And I look, uh, I mean, no disrespect to anybody. I love that they make guitars in these price points and I'm sure they're great. But me personally, when I'm looking at these guitars that are Strat copies, Telecopies, Gibson copies, PRS copies, uh, you know, Schecter copies, Ibanez copies. Again, again, it's what it is. It's a price for point. I have all those guitars. So I'm not sure what I'm supposed to be going. Hey, yeah, look, this guitar is a thing that I already have a thing of. So I, there's nothing there for me. So there, so for me, though, I would have no problem kind of like the, uh, the ghost fret and stuff. Let's get it. I'll give you an honest uh, impression of it, good and bad. Um, and uh, and I think we could all have fun with it. And I would definitely be able to do that. And then maybe we could do a giveaway with them or something, something really cool. Because that's the other thing too. The Shipping the Harley Bentons uh, to a YouTuber for Tallman, it's almost, it doesn't make no sense for them to ship that guitar all the way back to Germany. So they just let me keep them. Um, and that's fine. But I don't, I don't know what to do with them once I have them other than donate them. And uh, this is going to sound crazy, but I have had trouble in the past donating guitars to charity. Um, I, I, I have learned now the best way to donate to charities is I sell the guitar and then I give the charity the money. And uh, that, that's a lot of process. You know, you know what I'm saying? So what I'd like to do is, uh, but maybe since you guys are interested, everybody who, who chimes in that day, maybe we can, I, I'll keep all the names. And then when I'm done reviewing them, I'll put you in a, a, a drawing and I'll, I'll ship them out you know, to you. You guys pick, you get, pick a name and ship it out to you. Something like that. I'd like to do something fun is what I'm trying to say. What can we do to learn something and have some fun? That's what I'm What's That's what's in it for me. It's kind of like the sharpen my axe videos. Uh, there's not a lot of money in it. <laughs> there's actually, there's no money in it. Just like the Harley Bittens. I wouldn't get paid by anything. And I wouldn't, you know what I mean? The views are are, are minimal. A, a video like that makes me $30, $40. So again, it's just about putting in a couple days time. But if I know you guys will be excited about it and you'll get a benefit out of it, I'll get excited about it. I think we could all kind of have a good time. All uh, right. Uh, Mike Avery says, hey, Phil, first time catching you live. Love the channel. Thanks, Mike. I appreciate it. And welcome. Uh, and thank you for coming live. And Welcome to your first live. Uh, Lawrence 
this guy named Lawrence Petros Design says, Hey, Phil, why did you pick the Princeton 68 over the 65? Hold on a second. And it says, I just tried the 68 in my local store and found it to be really, really dark sounding. Yes, absolutely. That is absolutely correct, Lawrence. It is very dark sounding. In fact, um, that is exactly why I picked it. It's uh, when I reviewed the uh, Marshall one watt amp, uh, I had said that, that I tend to like dark sounding amps. The Princeton 65. Now, if I, if, you know, if I could have whatever I want, I would actually like to have a 65 and a 68 Princeton. I think about it all the time, having one of each, <laughs> right? But I know deep down, that's just silly. It's a, you know, there's, it's a waste of money to have two amps. And I would probably only pick one anyways. Um, the Princeton 68 to me does, uh, to me, I can make the 68 almost as bright as the 65, but I cannot get the 65 as dark and warm as the 68. So that's what it was for me. It was just an overall, like, this is what it can do. There's, there's something I love about each one. So, you know, something to point out to you. I'm really curious, uh, Lawrence, and you can check it out too. I feel like the 68 for me is the better sounding of the two amps. I really like it. I like that it's warmer and darker. However, I really think the 65 has a better reverb. Um, when I say better, I don't mean the reverb sounds different. It's how it reacts to the amp sounds different to me. It's the 68 reverb is like on top of the sound. It's a, it's one of the things I don't like about the amp that way sometimes. Uh, but you know what? It's one of those, you got to take it. You got to take the goods and the bads and average it out. And that's what I did. So yeah, the 68 is my choice because it's a little darker and warmer sounding and I uh, still haven't changed out the speaker in it. I don't think I ever will, but I think about it all the time. Uh, Andreas J, Andreas J89 says, Hey, Phil, what guitar preamp pedals do you recommend? I would like to connect it to my audio interface and record decent tones. Um, so for guitar preamp pedals, well, it depends. Here's the problem with the question. I don't know what kind of music you like. So preamp pedal gets, it's a little tricky. What I can tell you is this, and this is just a personal experience with preamp style pedals, and maybe this will help you. Preamp pedals, to me, a lot of times you get what you pay for. So when you try to buy these inexpensive off-brand preamp pedals uh, and record with them, I'm not saying they're bad, but you will get what you pay for. So when you buy the nicer ones, they seem to always pay dividends. It, to me, your sound, your preamp is going to give you the most of that sound more than anything else. So what do you want that sound to be is what's important to you. So uh, I would look at, I would look at not so much the crazy expensive ones, but definitely if you're going to use it, especially uh, like you said, to connect to your audio interface, don't chintz out and get the, get the inexpensive ones, get it, get into the good preamp pedals and buy a good preamp pedal um, and uh, check that out as well. So Next question. It was not a question. It's just a super chat. Thank you. That's from Jace56. And speaking of which, hold on a second, because sometimes when we do this and you guys do the super chats, they get lost. And luckily for us, YouTube keeps all the super chats for me. So I don't ever lose them. So, if, so sometimes when I'm reading one and I lose one, I'll be able to fi find it right now. So let's take a look. Okay, the one I missed is from Matt. And it says, Phil, have you tried the Petty John pedals? 
They're incredible. Any thoughts? I haven't tried them, but I would love to because I'm really interested in pedals I haven't heard of. So Petty John, I'll I'll time I'll timestamp it, put it in the index, and I'll I'll uh, look them up online and give it a look. Uh, something uh, something that came up interesting enough lately that I don't think people understood. I never realized that you guys didn't understand this, and maybe I should have said this. I never thought to say it. I only do one pedal review a month. Uh, so this year I've done three, maybe four. Last year I did 11 uh, pedal reviews. Now this year it gets a little tricky because I reviewed all the Fender pedals in one shot. Um, so technically that would be a lot more pedals, but it was one video. So I guess the accurate thing to say is I only want to make one pedal video a month. Uh, and I've been that way forever. Uh, so I, I really wish you guys could understand that if I put, I, I think that's where maybe got some people got confused. Um, uh, when I do a pedal video, uh, video, it's, I like that pedal. That's why it's there. It's, I, I do it every month. It's the one I liked that month. And, um, and maybe that's wrong. I don't know, because uh, as you can see from my collection, I buy more pedals than that, obviously. And companies right now on average, about one a week tries to send me free pedals. So I have to say no to three, almost four companies a month to say no to pedals because I just can't make that much pedal content. I just can't do it. Um, and I think, uh, and I think if I overwhelm everybody, uh, it, it just gets too much. It's too much for me. It's too much work. It's too much overwhelming to think about. I think it's too much for you guys. So, uh, so I'm just saying that because, uh, I want you guys to understand when I review a pedal, uh, regardless of what I say, good or bad about it, I want you to understand it. It really was important enough to me to make a video. Um, Craig says, do pedal out, do pedals output I'm going to try, I'm going to read it and then I'm going to try to understand. Okay. Do pedals. I'm going to say does, does a pedals output. Nope. Does a pedals output enough signal to be used as a preamp when you put directly into a power amp via an effects loop? Will it damage the effects loop? Okay. So let's start backwards. It won't damage the effects loop. So in other words, if you put a pedal into the, to an, uh, the power amp in of an effects loop, you should not be able to damage that by using a, a pedal. Uh, so that's the easy part. Um, but I, does a pedal's output have enough signal like a preamp pedal uh, or like a preamp? Yes and no. Some do and some don't. It depends on uh, how the pedal is set up. Believe it or not, the pedal's output is decided all the time, just like everything else is decided, right? So your guitar's pickup uh, has a different amount of signal it puts out. The pedals have a different amount of signal they put out. Um, so I've had uh, good luck with some pedals and some pedals are just too weak and thin. Also, it also has to do with whether or not they have an EQ stack. Sometimes a pedal like a tube screamer with just a tone control just isn't enough. You know what I mean? To have enough control to try to use that as some kind of preamp. You know what I mean? So that's why the term. I find for me the whole preamp versus, you know, pedal is to me, it's not like a preamp. It just means it's a pedal with everything an amp would have in it. Does it make sense? That's how I look at that pedal. So if somebody says this is a preamp pedal, I still look at it as an overdrive box or a distortion box, just with all the compliments that an amplifier would have, like an EQ and maybe a presence control and stuff like that. And that's there's probably more of a technically correct term for preamp pedals versus that, but that's how I that's how I perceive them. Um, and the reason I say that is because even though there's a technically correct term, just like uh, the Eddie Van Halen distortion pedal behind me, or the overdrive pedal right there, right there. 
that is called the overdrive, the MXR5150 overdrive. It's not an overdrive, it's a distortion pedal. So those terms can be used loosely. So sometimes they can say preamp pedal when it's not, and sometimes they won't call it a preamp pedal when it is. So since they're loose with the terms, I just go off my own judgment, and that's my judgment. So if it if it vibes like one, it is one, and if it doesn't, it doesn't. Uh, Jeffrey White says, Phil is still using the Fender pedals. I actually am. Uh, it's down here on the pedal board, right down here. Uh, but I've reconfigured a little bit. And so what I'm using is uh, the compressor, the uh, the Pugilist, and the Santa Ana is the three I'm using. So what I pulled off the board for now is, uh, you can see them behind me somewhere, maybe. Maybe they're not behind me. I can't tell. Hold on a second. There's sometimes there's a lot of stuff behind me. Oh, yeah. Uh, so there's the mirror image delay. And somewhere there is the buffer. The buffer pedal's there. So they're off right now, and I'm experimenting. So I really still do like, uh, that's probably the question, do I still like them? I do. I really like the, the delay and the reverb. I like them. I don't love them over some other delays and reverbs I currently own. Uh, so that's the, that's the issue. Would I re highly recommend them still? Absolutely. I still like them a lot. Um, but I'm really digging the Santa Ana and the Pugilist. Um, I just do. I just really dig those pedals. They've been fun. So, and I'm going to keep playing them until it's time not to play them anymore. And maybe they go back or maybe we'll, if, if we want, when we raffle them or something. So who knows? We'll see how that all ends up. Jerry says, we miss Ralph. What have you done with Ralph? Ralph, uh, was I was thinking about having him do a live show with me on Saturday, last Saturday, and it just didn't work out, so I did the Friday show. Um, he can only do Saturdays. So if he comes on, we're going to do a Saturday show. And uh, and if he does, it, instead of doing the live QA like I used to do, move it from the Friday to a Saturday, we'll do this QA, and then we'll do something else on Saturday front. Um. Okay, Michael's got a question. It says, your thoughts on the Hagstrom guitars? I'm I'm hovering over the buy now desperately waiting for your assurance. I understand that. I have a Hagstrom guitar currently. I have the uh, hollow body uh, downstairs. I really like the quality. The downfall of the Hagstrom guitars for me is the resale value is horrific. Uh, so that's the only thing you got to take into consideration. Um, I used to own one of their Les Paul ones. Uh, I think I paid $600 for it and I I, I mean, I was begging to get two, 300 bucks for it uh, when I sold it used. So maybe it's improved since then, but that's my, you know, that's my recollection. In fact, the reason I have the hollow body still is because I bought it and I just haven't wanted to look at what they're probably going for. I think new is like a $900 hollow body, $800 hollow body. Quality wise, they're great, man. They, there's, uh, I think mine's made in China. It's not made in Korea, but it's made in China and they use some really interesting components on their guitars. They have an interesting formula in which they construct the guitars. Obviously, they're, they're made in the same factory as everything else, but they have an interesting uh, formula. The uh, They have a man-made fretboard that's really cool. It's like a phenolic resin-based fretboard that's really cool, and their own truss rod system. So there's a lot of cool things about the Hagstrom guitars. Uh, to me, the only hurdle you should be uh, hovering over is, you know, if you get it and you decide to get rid of it, you know, it, it doesn't have a lot of brand power behind it. Not a lot of people know what a Hagstrom guitar is. So, but it's definitely an interesting, cool guitar. I know your pain. I was looking at a guitar last night uh, and uh, same thing. I was thinking about the fact that if I bought it and I didn't like it in a few months, 
would I even get anything close to the price for it? And I was looking at used, you know, and that's how it works. Jeff Harper says, will you review the Marshall Origin Amps? Uh, if I review the Origin Amps, it'll be the 20 watt because that's the one I will buy. Um, I don't have a relationship with Marshall. Uh, I've never talked to anybody at Marshall about, you know, maybe borrowing an amp or doing something like that. So I have no access. Where I'm at, there is literally no Marshall Amps at all. I mean, I can't even drive an hour or an hour and a half, two hours and get to a Marshall Amp. They don't exist. Uh, I haven't seen any. So... It was something I have to buy and check out. I know I'm, I'm very interested in it. Uh, uh, in the Blues, Shane, I'm sorry, Shane in the Blues uh, did uh, an announcement yesterday that he's got all three. And uh, so he's, he's about to review them. So that would be a good source for them right now uh, until I can maybe get my hands on the 20 water. But if I get one, it's obviously to get the 20 water. Uh, the 5 watt looks cool, and but, you know, Um, next question that's interesting is <laughs> Richard Scott says, Hey, Phil, have you seen the Affinity War yet? Yeah, I went and saw it this morning. So, uh, no spoils, spoilers here, I promise. I had no idea what to, what I had to expect when I went in with it, but, uh, I, I went. Uh, the Mr. T Dares, sure. I'm going to go with that name. Uh, Mr. T. Dare says, uh, looking for a jazz box around 1500 bucks. I dig the Gibson ES-175. Oh, yeah, me too. And uh, and the Ibanez PM series. Although the ES-175 is is hard, even at 1500 bucks nowadays. Uh, looking around, they've been inching up past 15, closer to 2000 uh, And the uh, Ibanez PM series, uh, this is that the Pat Metheny series, I'm, I'm sure, uh, styles. But hate Gibson quality. Yeah. Sometimes they get, you know, they get, well, you know, we'll talk about that in a separate, hold on. Not a fan of the 335 styles. What brand should I check out? D'Angelico, Ibanez, Eastman. I'm a, definitely a fan of Eastman. I I like Ibanez. Uh, the Ibanez ones, I, Ibanez, to me, hollow bodies, bang for your buck. You know, if you're trying to get like under the radar, low price, but get something decent. I always like what Ibanez and Epiphone put out. And then Eastman's right in there too. Just Eastman's really good. I think Eastman is probably higher quality in my perception of working on them and checking them out than those other two brands. But they're also the little, to me, a couple bucks more on average is what I've seen. Uh, so there you go. Uh, the Eastman's really cool. D'Angelico, or D'Angelico, if you're Italian, if you guys know that video, you know why that's interesting, um, uh, is really cool stuff, but it's uh, it's expensive, you know, right? It's it's a pricey guitar. But if you're looking at 1500 bucks, it puts it in that range. The best investment for $1,500, though, unfortunately, is a Gibson. Now, I know what you're saying about quality. Gibson quality is a funny thing to me. It's this thing that we say all the time. It's it's bad quality. It's not bad quality. There just always seems to be fin finish issues, which they always contribute to the fact that they're handmade to have that. The complaint is sometimes, it, here's the argument, and, and I haven't come to an answer, and you know, please feel free to put your thoughts in the comments below. Gibson's, uh, Gibson's, the argument of Gibson is, sometimes I feel like for the money Gibson's command, maybe I shouldn't get any flaws in my guitar for that kind of money. However, to their credit, even with flaws, you can get, a good return on investment if you sell your uh, Gibson guitar. And not that everything is about buying and selling guitars. That's not what I'm saying. 
What I'm saying is, is that's one of the benefits you get to have when you buy guitars. Is when you buy a guitar, it has value. It has a value for a long time. There's so many things in life you buy and has no value immediately after you buy it, or the value is little to none. Um, a guitar is an heirloom item. It's a, you know, you buy a guitar, it's something that not only has a value forever, but it's something that you pass on to other people in your family for, for many generations to come. Uh, it has no time, no time limit. You know what I mean? Uh, anyone would love uh, for someone to give them an old Gibson guitar, right? If your uncle Dave has a, has a Gibson ES-335 and he hasn't been using for 20 years and called you up and said, hey, do you want this? It, it would probably be like, you know, a small lottery win. So, uh, so just be aware of that. Uh, so I really do recommend the Gibson stuff for that. Uh, for that. And, and I think that's important because that is also stating the fact that, yeah, Gibson has quality issues. Um, but when I say quality issues, they're not bad. They play fine. I just sometimes, uh, wish that for the money you got better fit and finish work, but everybody has a different mentality for that. So that's why I like used Gibsons. They're kind of worked in a little bit. They look the style, uh, you know, I'm, I'm trying to purchase two Gibsons right now. I've been trying for like two weeks. It's been a nightmare. <laughs> so, uh, used, of course, um, the one I'm looking for, which I'm not going to tell anybody yet because, uh, you know, I'm, I'm trying to, I'm trying to find it first. Let's see. Joe B says every Les Paul I've bought and sold has never cost me anything. I've never asked more than initially paid for them. Yeah. You know what? I can tell you, Joe, I agree with you. I bought a lot of my Gibsons used and literally either broke even or made a little something on every Gibson resale. There's something about that. So, uh, that's the, that's the deal. So again, it's not one, one comment doesn't discredit the other saying that, yes, they have quality assurance issues. That is accurate, but also that they also have brand value and all these other things also is accurate as well. So yeah, there's a lot of things and they sound great. There's certain things about them. Like I said, Gibson, you, you gotta, you know, it's like a lot of things in life. You're going to have to figure out what, what your, your love hate relationship. You got to figure out what, what you want to go with. David's got a question. It says, I put Thornbuckers in a guitar with a piezo bridge because of the low output with the T-Bucker. Okay, Thornbucker. It's not well balanced and not useful when split to single coil. Yeah, it sounds like something in your wiring with your piezo system because because um, to me on my Thornbuckers, when I coil split them, man, they are singing. They are perfect. Uh, so, and, but when you're saying well-balanced, it just depends. Your piezo bridge, it depends on how you're wiring it together. Unfortunately, once you go piezo, um, once you go to that kind of system, everything has to be through that piezo preamp. That's how they mix it in uh, for, for a, a good example is a uh, great guitar player. Larry Mitchell had a Nags guitar and he was telling me there, he has two identical Nags guitars. This is a true story. So Larry's like, Hey, I got these two identical Nags guitars and um, both have Seymour Duncan pickups in them. Or to Margios. I can't remember. It doesn't matter. And one has a piezo system, one doesn't. And he goes, it's just, I can't get the tone right with the piezo system. And I told him it's because they're running the pickups all through the piezo system. So that's the drawback of that system. You know what I mean? You're, you're essentially, you have to run everything through the preamp so that it can kind of blend that stuff out. Otherwise it'll always be mismatched and have issues. So that's my guess, David, is that you're having issues. And that's just based on the fact that I can't imagine the Thornbuckers are having that issue because 
I've never heard, I, I haven't heard it with my ears on mine. And obviously I played Pete's and his was the same thing. It just sounded, that's why I thought it was sounded great. Uh, David's got a, another question. It says, is it possible to boost the signal coil circuit of the Thornbucker? No. I, I mean, yeah, you can always put a boost system in it. It says the split switch is the split switch is a switch soldered direct to the Fishman circuit board. Oh yeah. See, my guess is it's something to do with that board, the Fishman circuit. Interesting enough, there's going to be a sharpen my axe coming with a piezo system in it. So, I'll see what happens. I haven't done it yet in the video. I mean, I've done a lot of positivism, but it'll be something maybe I can address in the video. Maybe. Hopefully. Uh, cookies and Guitars. <laughs> what a great name, man. <laughs> cookies and Guitars. All right. Uh, favorite looper pedal right now? Question mark. Also, just got my first PRS, the Mirror S2. Know any hard shell cases besides the PRS1? It's very expensive at 200 bucks. So uh, my favorite looper pedal right now, you know what? My favorite looper pedals, I actually, it's going to be horrible, but I'm going to tell you the two I use, and I know you probably want one, but it's, I use the Ditto looper because I like that it's true bypass and it doesn't color my signal. I use the mini one. The X2 works great too. It's just a, it's a preference of need. I, I rather have the footprint, small footprint, easy to use. Um, I use that one all the time and I use the Boss RC1. Uh, I love the features on the Boss RC1. I like the RC1 a lot. It just depends. And the reason I say uh, either one of those, it, it has nothing to do with one being better than the other. It has to do with the type of amp I'm using. So sometimes I like having the RC1 because it's a little buffered. It pushes a little signal. It does what I want with the amp. And sometimes I don't want anything buffered or anything pushing the amp. I just want to keep it uh, nice and easy. Uh, one thing I really like about both is same thing. In For me, in the Archon, uh, effects loop, the RC1 is fantastic because it just pushes a little signal and uh, and that's great with that effects loop. But sometimes like on my Mesa Boogie, I like having the TC's uh, true bypass in the effects loop. It's just something to preference, but I'm good either way. So something something like that. If that, if that helps, hopefully. Okay, hold on. Let me refresh this one second. Uh, Matt Max says, see you at Winter Nam 2019. Cheers. Love the content. All right. Thanks. I don't know if I'm going to go. Isn't that funny? Every, every YouTuber says that every year. Am I going to go to Winter Nam? Uh, man, I don't know. I don't know if I'm going to go to Winter Nam. The, this year I went to Winter Nam and I was really, like I said, if you guys remember, I talked about this, you know, before, should I go? Everybody's kind of consensus was 50-50. Half said yes, half said no. I ended up going. And here's the, the, the reality of this for video content for me is that it, it's a cost. It's just a cost. That's all it is. NAM is just a cost for me. Uh, you're going to hear that over and over again from YouTubers. It's just a cost. I, I basically cost me $1,000, $1,500 ago. I create content that creates somewhere around $300, $350. So I'm $1,000 in. I understand what you guys are saying about wanting content to go, but sometimes, you know, you're sitting there going, I could have, yeah, I got to check out all the gear. However, I could buy myself a nice strat. You know what I mean? Or go on a vacation or I don't know, do something with the, the money. So we'll see. We'll see. I, I just don't know. Um, but what I will tell you this, if I don't go to NAM, I will do something else. That's cool. Cause I can do something else that I think is interesting and fun and uh, create some good content with. 
Um, this one's a neat, neat one. Damon Daughtry says, what are your thoughts on the Mesa Express Plus amps? Uh, I had a Mesa Express. Uh, I'm trying to think if that's the right amp. You know what? Your, sometimes your memory just plays tricks on you. Hold on a second. I just need to... I am pretty sure this is the amp because it was like 10 years ago. Yes. I had the Mesa Express. I don't think I had the plus. I had the 525, the Mesa Express 525 combo, one 10-inch speaker. I had that amp. The clean on the amp was killer. Oh, it's so full and huge and sounded fantastic. I couldn't find a Fender amp that could even come close for anything close to the size. The distortion I thought was okay. Uh, you know, it wasn't like the best distortion ever or the worst. It was fine. I liked it. Um, but it didn't take pedals well. And, you know, that's that term a lot of people hate. Uh, what does that mean? To me, is even though, like I said earlier, I like dark amps, it was really dark. It took all the distortions and made them fizzy. So um, it wasn't as simple as just running a tube screamer through it. The tube screamer kind of had a fizziness to it. So there's something about that. But I do like the amps. Um, for the size, the weight, the price, they are hard to beat for what they are. Uh, but in the long term, the reality is, as much as I like that amp, I ended up getting rid of it and just keeping a Fender amp. And that's what happened. Uh, yeah, Brian Stewart says, do a guitar store, buy stuff video instead. Yeah, so that's my point with the NAMM show. I could spend $1,000, and like this year, I was like, you go there and you like, I can make booth videos like everybody else. I tried to do something interesting this year. It was really long time consuming, which was the how do you official say things video. And that's what exactly, Brian, you're, you're hit it on the head. I thought, well, why, why I could take a thousand dollars and, and we could do a cool crazy, you know what I mean? That's a, that's a, you could do some crazy fun videos with a thousand bucks at your disposal. So, so that's what I want to try to do is see if I can put that in per, and I'm working on that this year with some, some ideas. We'll see how it unfolds. I, like I said, I think you guys will be pleasantly surprised. Uh, maybe starting this Monday at three o'clock when you see this video and how this works out. You'll see how that this new video. Uh, some of you guys already seen the teaser. Uh, the patrons saw it, and because uh, they were giving me some feedback, so far so good. So we'll see how that goes. Um, okay, Nasmo King says, "Phil, all the original guitar YouTubers bailing out like Scott Grove and Wheels of the Guitars." Your thoughts? Um, I don't know. You know, there's since I've been doing this, I started my channel. Uh, about two and a half years ago, officially, I guess, right? It's been dabbling since like three years. Uh, since I started, there is uh, at least a half a dozen or dozen channels that I knew I knew I know them that that don't make videos and don't do content and even took the channels down. It happens. Uh, I think because perceivably it looks a lot easier than it is, and the idea that you're like, hey, anybody can make a video, and you're absolutely right. But can anyone keep making videos? You know, the the term I hear a lot from professional YouTubers, you know, people who do this outside of our genre, it's um, you you know, YouTube is not a sprint; it's a marathon. I find that to be true. Trying to create uh, uh, interesting new content is a little tricky, so for sure. Um, and on top of that, uh, you know, generally people aren't very nice. <laughs> So uh, you have to take a lot of abuse that uh, you just got to get used to. So, 
Jonathan says, what do you consider low action? Uh, me, if you were to measure the top of the fret on the 12th fret to the low E string as uh, one millimeter and the top of the third fret to the low E string as 0.75 millimeters, uh, that's the low action I, I'm going after. Um, and I usually want that action to be consistent on all the strings. So you follow that, that measurement all the way across. I have a video somewhere talking about that. Okay. Okay. Uh, <laughs> Brian says, my, my Jack is jacked. Uh, no, ob money's no object. Top of the line replacement, telly thin line. You're talking about the, uh, for the output Jack. Um, I like anything switchcraft. The pure tone work great too. There's certain things I like the pure tone for. And there's certain things I like switchcraft for. In the telly, I would prefer probably the Switchcraft. So anything Switchcraft is great. I've had no issues with them. I'm sure somebody's going to comment there's that had a bad one or not. But I mean, I, I, I have a drawer downstairs uh, with probably 100 uh, uh, Switchcraft jacks because I buy them in, in bags of 100. And um, I, I can't even tell you how many bad ones I've come across the years. I mean, it's almost insignificant to nothing. So yeah, very good. Very good way to go. Very inexpensive. Uh, I know you said price is no object, but that's the best thing about it. You know what I mean? Okay. You guys got some really good questions. I'm trying to skim across them real fast. Uh, Valka, Valka, man, I'm sorry. Just, like, I know I butcher your names, but they're not easy. Valaka Laka says, best value acoustics on used market. Um, that's a really tough one uh, for used acoustics. Um, uh, you know, to me, there's used acoustics. I, I like Alvarez. I like uh, um, Washburns. I like, because I'm, I'm just going to talk about price friendly ones in the used market. Uh, Martins and Taylors are great, especially Martins for me in the used market because they're, you obviously save some money. Plus, Whatever was going to happen to the guitar would probably would have happened to it by then. So sometimes when they're they're broken in, they're a little better. Um, another acoustic brand that I like in the kind of used market, besides the Alvarez and the Washburns, are uh, um, Recording King are really great acoustics too. They're kind of off the radar. A lot of people don't know about them, but man, really really good stuff. Okay, just looking at the timestamp. Michael says, hey, Michael Wade says, Phil, is there anything you can do for a guitar with a twisted neck? Sometimes, yes. The The answer is yes. Um, you, But the, I wouldn't recommend you trying it yourself. It's something you care about. You need to take it to a reputable repair center. But yes, it can be. Sometimes it can be fixed. Um, I, have an, I have a statement that I will say, and it's always like this. Pretty much everything can be fixed. It's just, will it be cost feasible once it's done? And can you find the skilled labor to do it? So that's what you're looking for. Someone who can do it. Um, Robert says, Phil, tube versus solid state shootout. I love your stuff and I love the service to the USA. Oh, uh, thank you. Yeah, he's thinking of me for my service. Yeah, thank you, Robert. Uh, tube versus solid state shootout. Yeah, you know what? That would be a good video. Uh, if I was going to do that video, tube versus solid state shootout, I'd like to get another quilter. Um, I think the quilters are really great. Uh, solid state amps. I really wish more companies would uh, invest into high-end 
high dollar, high quality solid state products. And a lot of times I think when people talk about the fact that solid state is not as good as tube, I think because a lot of the solid state amps are built inexpensively and they can build really nice tube amps. And uh, I'd like to see companies like Quilter that are actually trying to build a, a more high-end solid state amp uh, give companies a run for their money. So yeah, that's something I'd like to check out. Uh, James Shackelfield, Shackelford, sorry, James, James Shackelford, uh, says I've been searching for a new Gibson for the past year. Yeah, I know the feeling, man. <laughs> and it seems like the affordable Gibson guitars weight weight is lighter. That impacts the feel and the tone. Does that really matter? Just bought a used Gibson from a local store. Yeah. You know, what's funny is I agree with you. I find that the, the, the lower priced American Gibson guitars tend to be always be lighter, which is funny because they're probably lighter sometimes refers lighter sometimes means the guitars dried out better it might even be better quality it's very possible weight doesn't always mean quality because the weight is only matters if it's using a good dense piece of wood versus a wood with just a lot of sap and, and just it wasn't dried out correctly um but yes uh does the weight really matter to a guitar uh, yeah uh, believe it or not i i really think it does sometimes uh sometimes you know Let's take two less poles. And I'm not talking about weight relief where the drill holes and stuff. We're not talking about any of that stuff. I'm not going to talk about that. What I'm talking about is if you take two pieces of wood and one is 10 pounds a guitar and one is like seven pounds and you play them, what I think is happening when the other guitar is heavier, I think what happens is that anchors the strings differently and the strings kind of have a different vibration to them. Uh, so it's not so much like the the weight is the tone. It changes any tone. That's not what I'm going for. What I'm saying is that the the weight the weight changes the way the strings kind of move and react. Um, and I think that's possible. Uh, but again, I'm already I'm only arguing uh, that it's a minimal amount. So no, I don't think it's a huge amount. That's why a lot of my guitars are light because I just don't think the drawback to I rather have a guitar that's a little lighter and easier on the the shoulder than a guitar that's a little heavier and that I think perceivably has a different tone to it. Now, there is a, a, a theory out there and there is a, a system out there that says that heavier guitars have more sustain. That I don't believe. I don't, I don't think that has a whole lot of merit to it or vice versa. So, and I also always, just as a caveat, say that it is possible that when you're comparing heavier guitars and lighter guitars, that there's other variables going on that could be affecting that sound besides that weight. It could just be the coincidence of it. So it's important, right? But uh, that's the whole fun of this. To me, the whole fun is not about saying one definitively is better than the other. The whole fun is spending a whole life trying to figure it out because that's what I want to do with my time, believe it or not. Is is. So if somebody says to me, hey, Phil, can you come over? And, and one of my buddies says, hey, check these two guitars out. I think one sounds different than the other. What do you think? I don't go, oh, that's just dumb. I don't want to hear about it. Uh, I already know that all guitars sound the same. Uh, I'd rather go spend the afternoon wasting my time uh, drinking a beer and trying to hear it, uh, whether it's there or not, because I'd rather do that than watch the news. So maybe that just makes me whatever. The Blues Brunker just did a super chat for no reason, man. Thank you. I appreciate that. Uh, it's nice. Uh, nice of you. And thank you all of you guys who super chat. That's really nice of you as well. Uh, all that stuff supports what I do and, uh, that makes a big difference to me. Um, David, uh, David's got a question that says, who do you, who do you recommend for guitar repair in Gilbert? Man, this is a tough one. I just got this question. This is a local question. Who do you, who do you recommend for repair in the area? I, I, I don't know anybody. The guy I was referring everybody to moved away. 
So that is the problem. And I do repair, but I do repair a lot differently. And maybe we'll make some changes to that soon. Um, so I will make that announcement. Uh, if I do, David, here's the good news though, David, uh, those kind of announcements I make on the Facebook page, cause it's more of a local thing. Uh, it doesn't really make sense to, to make local announcements, things that I do locally to people who may be Germany or, or Australia, uh, cause it doesn't really matter to them. They can't do anything, you know, with the information. Okay. Uh, so we're going to do the, just a couple minute warning. Let's try to take in a couple more questions. Okay. Um, anything seriously you guys got to want to talk about before we go? I'm just looking at my notes. I have notes. Oh, Mr. J, what a great question. What guitar tuning pedal is the most accurate? Hmm. I've never noticed one pedal being specifically more accurate than others. And I've actually plugged a bunch of them in a, in a row and tried to tune a guitar. And what I found was they move differently. In other words, when I tune, turn the tuning key, you know, some of them jumped more than others and did stuff. Uh, but for me, uh, I have a Korg one. I like it. But for some reason, I'm always back to my boss, TU3. Uh, and there's a TU2. They're the same thing. It's just the LED difference. TU2, TU3, or my uh, Polytune by TC. That's the two I kind of stick to. But really, the boss tuner is just, to me, it's just a gold standard pedal. It's a hard thing to ba beat uh, because of the price and it's indestructible and there's a lot of things I like about it. And uh, if you need a Katana, not Katana, was it the uh, Wazacraft version to get True Bypass? I guess that's what matters to you. But if you need True Bypass, I would look at the Korg or the or the uh, Polytune. Uh, B. Rye says, Phil, ha I have a Dane Electro 12 string with built-in effects. What... What I'd love to submit for Sharpen My Axe. Okay. Um, Sharpen My Axe things, like I said, so you guys know what's going on with Sharpen My Axe. We'll take some community time. There's 938 of you watching. So so community time with the, the Sharpen My Axe. I have recorded a bunch of Sharpen My Axes. They will be coming out every week from now on. Uh, I said that I wanted to do 10 episodes. Sharpen My Axe is a budget issue. And the budget issue is, though, although some companies have offered to send me some components and stuff, which is very nice of them, the process in which they do that is very slow. In other words, they're like, hey, let's talk, let's have a conversation, and then they send me some parts that I need. That's great. It's, it's very great. The downfall, though, is that as a whole on the Sharp Max, so you guys understand this, is that when you look at the, the videos themselves and the income that they produce being watched... They actually are the least profitable videos I make when it comes to income and uh, from the video. In other words, so if I do a video on something and I do a sharp max, when I look at the dollars, the sharp max made me $85 and the other video made me $150. And then when I look at the math and go, wow, not thinking about, uh, you know, the, the parts and stuff that I end up throwing in or the strings that I buy out of my own pocket, here's the reality of the sharp max is a little tough for me. Like I said, I do repairs. Um, a lot of the repairs I do on a Sharp My Axe, if I was just to do that repair, it would take me a quarter or half the time to do it that it does to do the video. And I would have got paid that amount. The Sharp My Axe actually don't make any money and it takes twice as long. So that being said, I've been uh, doing some, trying to do some more interesting Sharp My Axe videos to get some excitement going. 
That's why I did the uh, the Tyler Larson one is to entice some of the uh, companies out there to want to back these kind of type of videos. The end result that I want you guys to understand is that my my end goal for Sharpen My Axe, and I hope you guys understand, is that viewers like you get picked and we trick out your guitars and you guys get something really cool and you get to be part of a community and see and learn and uh, we all have some fun and somebody lucky guys and girls out there get a cool new guitar out of the deal right that's what i like to see happen uh, i don't need it to be a windfall by any means but i need it to be justifiable to time so that's what we're doing with that so you guys that have entries uh, this is where i'm making the announcement you guys that have all sent the sharp max anybody who sent me a thing saying submitting a sharp max i don't care when you did it I have them all. They're in folders. I put them in e-folders. I'm not responding. There's just too many. There's thousands. Um, they're not going anywhere. I'm as I'm as I'm following through this stuff. I'm going to be contacting you guys. So definitely, I'm interested in guitars, and I'm definitely interested in different and interesting guitars. The problem I have right now, though, a lot of times is you guys are sending me interesting stuff, and uh, and uh, uh, I don't have the funds to do the guitar. Now, a couple of you guys have mentioned that you would like to pay for it. And I'm okay with that. And if that's the way this ends up going, that's what we'll do too. Okay. But I would really still like to get some companies behind it because here's the, the irony of this. The irony is the comp these videos are producing, even though they're not financially beneficial that way, they are producing large views. There's a large amount of guitar players that are watching these and companies are benefiting from these, uh, from these videos. I see it. I can see the amount of you guys buying all their products. Um, and so I'm like, I'm not making any companies, uh, pay me out the wazoo for this. I'm just saying if I can get some of the companies to back this, that'd be kind of nice uh, and and try to and try to make it more interesting content and really keep step up in the game. I'd like to see the Sharp Max series continue on. Maybe after, you know, I'll do it for a while and then if we get bored of it, I'll turn it off for a little while and come back to it. But either way, I'd like it to be this long-term thing that we do for a while uh, and try to find new things. I'm really interested to see what you guys think on Monday's episode because it's a little different than the others. So that all being said, I thank you guys for for listening to that little spiel about that. And then uh, real quick, let's let's tie up some of these real quick. Uh, Mike Miller says, is it worth an extra $120 to get a pleck over a regular fret level? Um, no, I really don't think so. Uh, I don't think the pleck can do anything that a competent uh, luthier can do. Uh, and if you watch the video with uh, Sammy Ash and me when we did the Sammy Ash live show, Sammy talks about the pleck machine and he kind of states that. That pleck is really a great way for a factory to give you consistency over and over again with guitars. Uh, and I think that's why Gibson Plex a lot of their guitars uh, to get, try to get consistency over that. So no, I don't think it's worth it. Uh, so that that's just my opinion. <laughs> okay. Uh, Turkey trail, honey bee farm, Georgia, man, really? Thanks for the funny name. That's great. That's their sign on Turkey trail, honey bee farm, Georgia. Great. That's actually an awesome sign on. I uh, just want to do a super chat. I appreciate that as well. Uh, John Clark said thoughts on why vintage PRS guitars, mid eighties didn't appreciate in value like early production, less pulse. Well, uh, you know, that that's they, some PRS guitars are worth a, a lot of money, especially from the mid eighties. Uh, but yes, not like vintage, less pulse. Uh, you know what? Here's the, tr the, the truth of it. Uh, Gibson's first, then Fender, and then maybe PRS. I don't know. Probably Rickenbacker after that. Who knows? Doesn't matter. Actually, you know what? Let's keep it easy. Gibson, then Fender. 
Those are the two companies that for, for whatever reason get to have amazing resale value. You know who, you know how I look, look at it and the reason is, is because those guitars are timeless and forever. Look at resale value on vehicles. You know who has a great resale value? A Jeep. Because no, you know why? Because they're utilitarian. They have a purpose. Uh, they're utility, not utilitarian. Your utility vehicle, they have a purpose. Um, and, and they're timeless because the fact you can't figure out when one's 10 years old, two years old, or 20 years old. So um, that's maybe what a Gibson has involved too. PRS to me, when I look at PRSs through the years, I can tell what years they are. So some people like only the old PRSs, some like new PRSs. So I don't know. I tend to like newer PRSs. So older PRSs don't really kind of excite me. Uh, Andreas, Andreas J 89 says, Hey, Phil, thanks for your advice. I'm after, I'm after blues and hard rock tones. Any good preamp? Okay. Brands. Okay. So that's, uh, that's the question they had about a good preamp for interface. Um, and they're after blues and hard rock tones. So I don't know. Let's take a look. So, you know what, since you asked twice, let's, let's do this. my show if i want to take a second look let's take a second look man there's a lot of preamp pedals out there um it's tough i mean to be honest with you if you're doing interfaces you might want to just do an interface and use plugins i'm trying to see if there's anything that kind of like stirs my mind that says hey use this i for blues and rock. Any suggestions? What do you guys got out there? I'm going to answer it too. Cheddar just did a super chat for the Donate Sharp Max Fund. I appreciate that, Cheddar. But like I said, you guys on the patron side have been doing that too. And you guys have been supporting the the, the, the Sharp Max thing. That's not the issue. That's why we're going to, that's why I'm doing them. You guys have definitely been supporting it. But what I'm saying is that I'd like to get some companies behind it too. Again, not in a large way, but in at least a, a small way, it can make things a little easier to keep this keep this going long-term. Um, okay. And I didn't forget your question about the preamp pedal. I'm trying to think what preamp pedal do I like? I, you know, I just don't have a suggestion. I know that sounds horrible. I have a bunch of preamp pedals that I like, so I'll, I, but rock and blues. Huh? You know, to be honest with you, I know it's going to sound horrible, but I like my 68 Deluxe by Lawrence Petros. That's the one I'm using. I mean, I literally recorded it the other day using an interface. I put it right into my uh, Claret Focusrite preamp. So that's one to check out. I really like that pedal. I use it a lot. And I, so, you know, I use my 68 all the time, but I happen to use the Deluxe uh, as just a tone to do it that way. Had great. I had a great tone with it. I really enjoyed it. Yeah, Cheddar says the Boss Blues Driver. Yeah, that's a great pedal too. And Far Cry Less Money, 50 bucks. Matthew Roche just did a super chat. I appreciate that. Um, and hold on, before I go, I just want to make sure I didn't miss anybody on the super chats. And, and we'll do one more pedal. You guys got some great suggestions. MXR Microamp, make sure you look at the suggestions. Okay, so let's do one more fun question and then we'll call it. 
Uh, great question. Dagger4D says, how do you feel about ESP LTD guitars? You know, it's funny is I want a Gibson SG really bad. And I was looking at the ESP Vipers last night or LTD Vipers, because I think for the money, you can get a lot of guitar, uh, for the price. But for some reason, I just kind of want a Gibson right now, SG. So that's just a guitar I want. But secretly, I kind of feel like the, the Viper is probably better quality overall, uh, just because, you know, it, it's got it's got some carves on it that I like, and you can get a lot for the money because uh, you get one really decked out for a lot less than just a more of a basic uh, Gibson SG that I'm looking at because the base models I'm looking at are still pretty pricey. Um, but no, I love ESP LTD uh, guitars for sure. Okay. And then Matthew Roche says, uh, do gold tipped guitar cables really make a difference? They are expensive. I usually buy non-gold average price lifetime guarantee guitar cables. Okay. So funny question I have is this, uh, I forgot who told me this, but, uh, it's doesn't matter. Somebody once said this interesting thing. They said, look, if they put gold on the tip of a guitar cable, but guitar player, guitar players are not like, so here's the issue with guitar, gold tip guitar cables for me. So when they put them on audio type cables, like uh, RCA cables or cables that plug into stereo systems or into uh, applications where they plug in and stay there, I think that makes sense. But on a guitar cable where you're unplugging, plugging all the time, you're just gonna, the gold is soft. You just wear it right off. In fact, I always notice when I get gold tip guitar cables, I feel like within a month, it's half of it's gone. I wore it off. So then what is what's really happening there? So like you, I don't really, I don't buy into them. So, you know, um, so they are expensive and I, 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 I do exactly what you do. I buy average price guitar cables that have good warranties that I trust. Um, and I find with guitar cables for me, in my experience with my cables buying purchases for me, what I've noticed is, is that cheap cables are always a bad idea and expensive cables, uh, really just start have a degraded, a degraded return. So I get, I find always find a decent cable from a reputable company and I've been happy ever since. So, so there you go. And, uh, sometimes it's a trial, uh, trial and error kind of thing. What I mean by cheap cables is obviously, you know, there's cheap cables, but I've bought cables that were priced in 20, $30 range. And I thought they were okay, but then they kind of crap out on you. And then I never buy them again. And then I go on my way. So, uh, cables, there's a lot of cables. I, I really like hose cables, uh, you know, not because, uh, the hose of guys, you know, kind of send out cables to the YouTubers and stuff, which is a really cool thing that they do. Um, I've been using hoses for years there and there, I have most of my cables are like hose type cables and same with hose is a good example of the sweet spot, right? I find that they make some really inexpensive cables and they're okay. I kind of want to stay away from them and they make some higher end cables. And I think those are okay. And, uh, but I've learned for me, there's a sweet spot with hose cables that just kind of fit right in the middle and they're reputable and I can get, you know, repairs done, uh, warranties taken care of. So stuff like that. All right. Well, and then Todd Flower says 18.5 cable length is max before it buffers, etc. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Length of cable. Actually, uh, perfect example, Todd. Uh, at home use, I use 10 or 15 foot cables, mostly uh, 15 foot cables for that very reason. So I don't lose any of the highs. I don't need 20 foot cables. Uh, not at home use. It's it's fine. And I do have a bunch of uh, really high end cables, uh, but um, yeah. Uh, so and. Um, I, I've, I've, ex I've, sorry, I've, uh, I've experienced nothing amazing about them. So if that helps. 
Okay, so on that note, I think we're gonna call it. That was a good uh, good live show. There was 900 of us hanging out, man. You guys are awesome. I appreciate it. I uh, hope you guys enjoy the new schedule system now, which is Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays, always at three o'clock Pacific time, 6 p.m. Eastern time. Uh, there will always be a video for you or a live show. The live show will be on Fridays, videos being on uh, Mondays and Wednesdays. For a little while, let's just say a few weeks, maybe longer, there will always be a Sharper Max uh, on Mondays. So Sharper Max Mondays. Uh, and then I'll variate that with some other interesting videos. But for a while, we'll be Sharp Max. I have quite a few uh, kind of queued up and ready to go. They're already loaded and time locked, ready to be released. So something to think about. Uh, since it's one of the things I got to do to fund what I do on YouTube, I just remind everybody that the T-shirt of the month is the PRS style T-shirt. So if you guys are into PRS guitars and you want that shirt, uh, you can get it. There's a link. There'll be a link in the description. Uh, those, all those t-shirts and mugs that funds what I do here. Uh, and all of you who have bought those shirts and stuff in the past, thank you guys so much. You guys are awesome. Every time, uh, I've ever needed anything on this channel, you guys have always stepped up and done it. The patrons, the viewers, the t-shirt buyers, the mug buyers, uh, you guys are just always awesome. So, uh, and, and you guys drive me to do better. That's why I'm giving you guys more consistency starting this week. If you guys notice with the videos always be Monday, Wednesday, Friday from now on. And then when I'll, whenever I can, I'll give you bonus videos, uh, is my plan as always. So, so thank you guys so much, uh, until next week. Oh, one last thing too. It's important. Two things actually, uh, podcasts, somebody emailed me a bunch of people emailed, sorry, a bunch of people emailed me and said that there wasn't podcast last couple weeks. That is true. I did an update on my computer. It was one of those things where it said do an update and it stopped me from downloading these files uh, to podcast that has been since corrected today. If you guys notice on the podcast on iTunes and on SoundCloud, they have been back cataloged. So the last couple weeks, they're back up there now. This will be on there this weekend as well. So you guys can listen to this as a podcast. So that is, uh, that is updated. Uh, and, and then as always, I just want to, uh, thank some of the new patrons that signed up for the uh, for uh, the sponsorship of these live shows. And uh, the newest one today was Bob Crosley. And of course, Tony, we heard from him earlier. He, he also joined up, which I appreciate. And then I'm just going to read off a couple of the cool guys that take care of this uh, for us. It's Bradulus, Jeff Howes, Zachary Rowe, Michael Newman, Bruce Garris, Hannah Gunson, John Jex. John Jex, uh, I think, just bought one of my PRSs, too. Right, John? I think that makes sense. I think I sent you a tuner too uh, with it because I remember writing it on there. So uh, Michael Shy, uh, Justin Mabe, David Madison, Lawrence Petros, of course, also for also being an uh, administrator and helping uh, take care of the the, the comments. Uh, James Biles, Robert Books, Tim Camacho, Robert Hodges, Steve Pinna, Paul Ostrick, Michael Lidner, Joe Watson, Gregor, Jonathan Pickering, Bob Pickwood, Tim, John Levitt, Space Jazz, Pedal Pal Effects, Ricky Robson, Chuck Keane, Chris Glaze, Dylan87, and Russ from Taurus Pedals. The list is very important to me because you guys uh, do a lot for the channel, along with all the other patrons, viewers, supporters, uh, people who hit like buttons. Uh, everything you do definitely, definitely goes. Uh, Richard Richard Scott Oak says, can I buy your Warwick? Uh, yeah, yeah, but... You wouldn't want to. Uh, I don't plan to sell my Warwick. It took me 19 years to get it, uh, and it has an insane price tag on it. So you'd have a heart attack if I sold it. And the reason I'd sell it to you is to just order another one. Uh, so it wouldn't make sense. You can just order one from them yourself. <laughs> so there you go. 
As always, I want to thank you guys so much for your time. And until next time, uh, know your gear.